Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 127 of the Green Light Podcast. Greetings on a warm Columbus, Ohio afternoon, February 16th. Actually, afternoon, I should say night. Uh, as we record this, POC, e And I'm going to be quiet because we have a bone to pick with uh, officiating, ACC officials, cheating scandals deflate gate got involved uh a game later we're not getting into that, that, that we Duke uva and here's my my only this will be the only thing i say about it and then you can have your set, take the, and set the scene and we're going to move on what happened in the game has never happened in the history of ncaa basketball that's it what happened has never ever ever happened in the history of NCAA basketball, and if there is a moment where a official threw his hand in the air, blew the whistle, called the foul, went to the monitor, and removed it, and I don't know about it, please tweet at me after the episode, but I'm pretty sure that ACC officials made history in the wrong way, Duke versus UVA last weekend. Go, Ian. I just want to – I'm going to start out by reading probably my – the best article I discovered this weekend on, on, on the, on the subject, the title of the article is Duke, Virginia refs actions tough to take starts out. And it says one group walks away happy and asks no questions. Another group is stunned. Thousands of observers are puzzled, eager for an explanation while the decision makers remain largely silent. No, this isn't about how Jerry Maguire managed an Oscar nomination for best picture. This is about correct versus fair about status versus honor, about Virginia versus Duke. Quite a few things reeked about the end of Duke's 62-61 victory Tuesday. The officiating crew botched a situation that may have directly affected the outcome, and from the Virginia side, the Cavs lost the game they needed in their quest for an NCAA tournament berth. Actually, basketball is a secondary concern. This was one of those situations that leaves a bad taste in your mouth for a lot of reasons. Now, until I got to that score... You probably thought I was talking about the game on Saturday. In fact, I'm talking about a game that happened exactly 26 years to the date. 26 years. So February, uh, February. What 12, a take we had 1997. Here. And I, for the listeners, Paul has no idea where, what I'm about to set the stage. And I, I we have I'm, not I'm really spoken since this game. FYI. I, I'm really interested. Like it's been four days. For those that don't know what happened in that game. Virginia was playing Duke. Virginia makes – so Virginia's at the line, tied. A sub comes to – this is Wojo is on the Duke team. This is uh, this is before J. Will and Boozer, but this is, um, I believe, Carowell's on this team, so 97. Um, Virginia, it's tie ball game, 5.1 seconds left, I believe. Um, uh, sub comes to the table for UVA. Ref goes – Sub, come in. He's like, no, I've got the shooter. 
UVA shooter Norman Nolan makes the free throw to go up one with 5.1 seconds left. Virginia, without being able, the sub who, or the ref who literally says, you, uh, confirms them he's checking in for the shooter, Virginia scores, hitting the buzzer. While they're doing that, they inbounded immediately to Chris Wojciechowski, who runs down the court. The Virginia players are literally stopped. He goes by the guy at the elbow, who's like, has his hands up. It's like, yo, the, our, the horn's going on. We got our sub. Goes to the rim. The clock does not start until the guy, until Wojo is after half court. So the clock's run. No one knows what's going on. He jumps. They call a foul. Somehow, while none of this was supposed to happen, what do they do? They imagine they come up out of nowhere. They put 0.7 seconds left on the clock. They give Duke free throw, two free throws. Duke wins, walk away. And the quote that I take away from this. And this is my stance on the Virginia game. We feel fortunate to win, but we did make a winning play. Whatever the controversy was in that scenario, Steve Wojciechowski made a great play. You can say this. uh, I'm going to go Armand Franklin made a great play. We've been fortunate enough to win a lot of games. I don't want to win because of any shenanigans. I am going to take the same stance as your beloved leader, Mike Krzyzewski did in 1997, when he was unfairly given a victory against Virginia 26 years ago to the date, so we don't want to win because of shenanigans. I get stuff happened. We made we still made winning plays down the stretch to win the game. Rebuttal or stance. I'm curious. If, to hear. if you're not going to admit that that is a completely different situation, then I don't know if we can get. How's it not? How's a completely different situation? No, listen. We can we can go game by game of mistakes referees made. There is a clear distinction between making a mistake and then calling a foul. No, 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 no. Seeing That's, it on film. This is where you're wrong, though, and why all the Duke fans are missing this is like I please. get you can say it's a bad call. The reason why they mess this up is they didn't call a foul on Reese Beekman. They called the or like the foul they're signaling for, which the ACC statement was on Ryan Dunn who came in trailing behind the play and what, and with the body wiped out Reese and wiped him. So in their mind, yeah, a, they screwed up by not potentially calling, which to some they people is debatable. No, but they foul. didn't call it on Reese Beekman, which is what everyone is saying they should have called. So yes, they missed a foul on Reese. They called a foul on the wrong person. And so then when they went to the monitor, they get all messed up and they're saying, Oh, well, it came after the fact they messed the rule. The ACC is even in their statement, the ACC screwed up the rule because the rule they referenced literally starts out by saying in situations where there's not a game monitor, which they clearly yeah, had a game monitor, that's game when that monitor. applies. So I get, I think the gripe is Reese Beekman fouled him, which I'm f- totally fine with you making like people saying that. I think it's pr- he probably did. The problem is the refs didn't call that foul. They called a foul on ryan dunn trailing and then when they went to the monitor they were like oh well the ryan dunn foul came after so that doesn't count they didn't wipe away a reese beekman foul they called it on dunn which was a mistake and that's why they ended up in that situation but when you do the freeze frame aka be a ref be a human being and you're looking at it there's 0.2 on the clock so and then and then that's not the foul they called though but the rule even says that's the thing It, it shouldn't you blew the whistle it's not like they had to go and be like, oh, well, we can't apply a foul now. It was a foul. Well, they can't switch. The, that's my point. They can't. If they called a foul on number 13, 
and they go to the monitor to make sure it happened, they can't be like, well, actually, it wasn't a foul on 13. It was actually a foul on number two. So we're going to, that's like, that's my point is they, if they had called that a foul on Beekman from the beginning and reviewed that, it would have been fine. Where they screwed up is like, they didn't, they called Beekman's a block and they called the foul on Dunn. So when they go to review the Dunn foul is what they screwed up. That's where they put themselves in a pretzel because the, the ACC statement even says they confirmed a foul was on Ryan Dunn. The foul is if in question is on Beekman, if anything. And because they didn't call that, they can't switch their call from Dunn to Beekman because that wasn't the call they made. They're seeing if the foul sure, they called on Dunn happened or not. The rule clearly states that Duke should be awarded two free throws. That's it. That's yes. the rule. And they screwed. So, but they screwed up two different things, is my point. They sure. screwed up the okay. fact There's that there's no like, argument they, here. But no, like... but they missed the call. You said we can go down the line of missed calls. They missed calling it on Beekman. And then yeah, when but, they okay, called it on Dunn, that's they, not my thing. My thing is, you know, and I'm shocked you haven't brought it up already. You know, missing a travel call on a game winner is diff, not even remotely close to what happened in this game. It's not even close. Not it's not. It's close. not a missed travel. No, the re- the game I'm referencing. I know. Literally, I'm talking about the Grace. Literally, game. they let Duke just take the ball down the court, and then literally while the players are stopped and call a foul and then just magically put time on the clock and gave them two free throws and said, Oh, we're sorry about it. While the literally, and then the person, even though he's hitting the horn, the UVA shock, the clock operator who had been there for like 23 years, got fired, never got to work a game again. Even they're hitting the horn. That was at refs, UVA. Is at is in Charlottesville. Tapes on YouTube. We'll we'll, yeah, we'll we're gonna link out that, to it. That makes me feel a lot better. Is that UVA? Because now I'm like, that's eh, on you guys. And luckily, they play. made the turn. Like at that point, they were like, I think they had lost. Virginia had lost like three straight ACC games. They really needed to like win that. They ended up getting in the tournament barely. Um, but it, the irony is, it literally was 26 years ago to the date. And like, it's wild because literally the players are staying on the court. The guy like Wojo is going past him with the elbow, and the dude's just with his arms up like this, like what, like watching him go by. Wojo goes up to the rim. A guy jumps. They call a foul. And, like, then they're like, ah, oh, we'll assume there's .7, so we'll give them two shots. And then, and that's it. It is what it is. The refs, I, I will concede the point. Not all Virginia fans will concede that Reese Beekman fouled him. I will be a Yeah, but I feel like that's, concede like, that. legitimately not the point at all. No, I but feel that's like the, yeah. What do you mean? I, like, that's not the point. The point is a ref called a foul on the floor, went to the monitor and removed a foul. That, that act has never, first of all, it's not even, you can't do that, number one. You can't do it. So that, that because should be Because the they stop. made the now mistake like, and didn't call it on Beekman. But, okay, but regardless they were saying of that. that he took it, the point is what they called is that they took out, like, is that Ryan Dunn trailing took out Beekman. That was the call they or took out Beekman and um and, and, and Flopowski. Yeah. And so by making that bad call and not calling the actual like correct foul on Beekman, they can't go to the monitor and switch it and then they doubly screwed I up feel like by you like can. if they they can't like they that's not what they call. They're checking it to see when it happened and then they double down and screwed up on but if but if the they do rules. If they fix, let's say what, let's say they went to the monitor and said, oh, I, I called the wrong number. Filipowski gets two free throws. Is this even a, it wasn't the wrong. No, it was just, they, they, the wrong person. I called it on the wrong person. My bad. I, it was I, the I, wrong action. It was like, you thought either they, they, they're saying that essentially Ryan Dunn came through and knocked him out. Not that when, not when Reese Beekman like met him at the rim, that's essentially the goal. And so I like the only, I'll end with this. 
Yes. We got the only on. thing that I is and it sucks is at the end of the day, like, yeah, like it sucks. And I'm not gonna be the person who's like, oh, well, you had overtime to win it. You had like oh, the game is so, over. Because the no, no, no. I'm saying you still like the same way. No, saying no. That I mean, going in overtime, had, that was a foregone conclusion. You were winning. Like, the it, same as what Coach K says. Like we still made winning plays. Like we went to overtime. Virginia made winning plays. Sure. Same thing. The only my only concern. And I get like everyone's all, all up in arms. If they had won that game, hypothetically, how does it actually affect? Like, do they? Is they maybe move up like one seed line, like that? Like I mean, at the end of the day, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, but. Drastic. If this happened in the NCAA tournament, oh yeah, it'd be God. the biggest. It'd be the biggest story ever. Even the ACC tournament. Yeah, I, I think obviously it would have been a marquee win for Duke. Yeah, um, it would have been their best one of the season. But I also yeah. don't think it's altering their um, their seed or their trajectory any that much further. I think they win that game. They right now they're projected as an eight. I think that probably solidifies them as a seven. That's as far as they're going to go. They're they're. I mean, they would have to win out to get any higher than that. And it doesn't matter. So controversy. Um, you know, what's funny. You sent something to me before the game and it was basically like the last 10 years of Duke, Virginia. There's like a three point differential and it's yeah. like basically tied. Um, the spread was five and a half, which was a little high for even and, what you and I thought, I think. And Virginia, uh, for this game, you right. Wasn't it five and a half? It was five and a half Virginia. I don't think it was that like, I, I know, but like even, even like yeah. when you look at the scores of the last seven, eight years, it's legitimately one to five point, four point games. Like every yeah. time, it's nuts. But yeah, five and a half. Sure, it it ended up being six, right? They ended up winning six. by six, so they covered yeah. somehow. So, um, um, all right, so whatever. Do my honest- I, I only question to you about the game and takeaway from it is like, was it more concerning or is it like reassuring that you almost had your best win without Filipowski scoring? And like without insane. lively playing as well, like because that that was the thing for me is like Duke shot well from three, Virginia really didn't. Like the Granderson three from the corner was like a magical moment to tie it. Um, it was a pretty typical game against Virginia, like ugly rock fight, million screens the guard, Kihei's annoying. Virginia makes shots. Can we, can I never just think make, is can we just make in. a note that Kihei became the all-time winningest ACC player, surpassing I, Shane Battier last night? I shout saw to, that. That's shout actually, out to all the key haters out there that didn't want this man to come back for a fifth year. That's actually insane. Um, actually, somebody did say that so many records are going to get broken because of the COVID extra year, which is whatever it is, what it is. It's the extra year, and I mean the dudes like the. But at the same time, the only my only counter to that is how many freshmen are playing significant minutes for tony bennett in their freshman year like in, in their first year anyways like there's not like not at a least lot, right the only guys honestly like it's been ty ty jerome didn't never even started as a freshman kyle guy didn't break in the starting line until about halfway through like deandre hunter redshirted like malcolm brogdon like like joe like none of these guys had the impact that now in kia like obviously was on a national championship winning team, but it's really, really hard. You have to be so defensively sound to step in. Um, so I give Kihei a ton of credit just to begin with that he even um, was in that position to have the games his freshman year to get to this point. So, um, and, right. and they didn't make the tournament too. Like they didn't have, yeah. they didn't, they didn't make the tournament last year and yet he's, and yet he's still going to break this. They've had like a two down years back to back, you could say, and yep. they, um, and he's still going to do it or he did it. So. Um, all right, I got three random things I wanted to cover that happened since we last recorded, and then I want you to talk about that insane stat 
that you and Momo talked about. Bama gets ranked number one for the first time in 20 years and then quickly loses. Um, it's a revolving door. Number one a, is just a revolving door. It's a revolving door on that it's same. Probably road. back to Houston now, I would assume. Yeah, probably Northwestern beats Purdue. Freaking shout out to Chris Collins. Um, Kennesaw State Owls, 20 wins for the first time in since they became D1. Should say that. Uh, 20 wins for the first time since they became a D1 program. Um, Mike Bray decides to unretire and say, I'm just retiring from Notre Dame and I may go somewhere else. So that's cool. Um, good for our, our guy, Pat Rogers. Um, we're going to get into New Mexico. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about, here's my prediction. Everyone this, this year, more than maybe in the last few, I feel like we've said this before, but this year, there's not a clear number one, obviously. We just referenced it. There is not a clear favorite to win it all. It feels wide open, and everyone keeps mentioning the same seven teams. And although what I'm, my prediction is going to be one of those seven teams, I could see this being like a Gonzaga. Like, I could see this being the year that, you know, the 18th team ranked right now wins it. Like, it's just an insane, weird year. But my prediction is, we get a repeat winner for the first time since Florida, and Kansas does it again. I'm not confident in anybody. I guess Houston, maybe. I guess Purdue sometimes. Like, I'm not confident in really anybody. I'm not super confident in Kansas either, but I'm going with that. That's my prediction there's, on February 16th. There's no far away. I do want to take this opportunity to look at just a little glimpse. When we talk about a lot of like what we say is our parameters to win a national championship of being top 25 in both offense and defense. Yes. And I actually, as of now, I think there's actually more than, than we typically have. Like, it's not that like, Oh, this team is like really good offense. Like, and there are some cases of that, like this team is really good offensively, but they're hurt. Like Marquette is fourth offensively, 58 defensively. I feel like we get a lot more of that. There are a lot more teams that are both in the top 25. And we go down just a dry run. It's Houston is third in offense, second in defense. So hmm. put them up there. Alabama, 16th in offense, fourth in defense. Probably, in my opinion, that's, I, I think, still the best team no matter what. UCLA, 24th in offense, second in defense. Um, throw Tennessee out because their offense is 54th, but they have the number one defense. Purdue, sixth on offense, 21st in defense. Connecticut, 11th in offense. 19th in defense. St. Mary's is knocking on the door. They're 32nd in offense and fifth in defense. But then in Kansas, um, 20th in offense, 14th in defense. Texas is knocking on the door, but they need to pick their defense up. Um, and then I believe we've got, I believe Virginia is, Virginia fell off a little bit offensively, I think after the Louisville game, but they're 30 and 25. So we've got more, I think there are some more balanced teams this year um that we can see potentially making a making more run like then you've got freaking miami's ninth on offense and 124th in defense so there's these teams like there's a not that i don't want to call miami like a flash in the pan but there's you see these teams you have glimpses of that's like oh they could be good i do think those teams i just mentioned though are the ones that we're going to keep coming back to every time and it's it's still going to be that group it's going to be houston it's going to be alabama it's going to be ucla it's going to be purdue yukon kansas and then maybe Texas, Virginia sprinkled in the mix. Um, are we going to be saying the same things that we say every year, though? Like this time last year, there was a stat that was on Twitter. UNC was 0-7 against Quad 1. This year, they're, I believe, 0-9 against Quad 1 right now. And then Something they go on their run, right? Yep. 
And it also included UNC, by the way, they won out like their last five games of the regular season. It was literally like a year ago today. Um, are we going to be sitting here in a month ish and change saying the ACC got four teams in the sweet 16 somehow the big 10 has two and we're looking at Kansas as a repeat. Like, it, like I just, I feel like we it keep starts. making these arguments for these teams every year. And then we get to the tournament and it's the same story. Because the thing is, and you're hundred percent right. And I think, and I think we've finally officially put to bed because Virginia tech's the perfect example of that I know I've texted you a million yeah, times. Now like Virginia tech is just literally always, it's been on the bubble. They've now lost to Georgia Tech. They've lost. They've gotten swept by Boston College. Uh, like they are, Virginia Tech is 15, 11, and 5 and 10. And until they lost to Georgia Tech, they were always on bracketology, like in there. First and so it's because whatever. the metrics, like they have the 29th offense. The thing with UNC that's crazy, and you talk about it, is they have the 36th offense, they have the 49th defense, they're ranked 38th in Kempom. So the metrics would tell you they're a tournament team. Yeah, but, but when you their, look at their, their resume, what is three. what would you think is it if you off the top of your head do you know what their best win is, and how many tournament teams you think they've actually beaten? Well, they, well oh, they I have, know they're the they quad one wins. Quad ones. Um, they have a random non-conference good win, don't they? They early uh, in the year. Uh, Charleston. That's their random non-conference good win. Um, okay. <laughs> it was still even though Charleston is twenty-five and three, they are still. 69th in Ken Palm, so one spot behind, like a spot behind Carolina. Um, or no, actually, sorry, 50 spots yeah, behind Carolina. Yeah, I was gonna say, so their best win, um, and potentially their only win against what I would say a, a pretty solidified uh tournament team is NC, NC State, State at home. Yeah, NC State, they yeah, did, yeah, they yeah. pounded Clemson by 20 at home as well. Yeah, um, but after that, honestly, I think their next best win is, is probably Ohio State in overtime on a neutral court. Um, but they have like, they, their resume, they go at NC state at Notre Dame, they get Virginia at home, um, at Florida state and then home against Duke. And the crazy part about that is the only game that Ken Palm has them losing is Sunday at NC state by three. So like the rest of the year for the rest of the year until obviously the con like, so there is a path for them. Like if you pick up a win, if you beat a Virginia, if you get a road win against NC state and you get a, a home win against Duke. Like those are three quad one wins. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess Duke would Duke, Duke would be would, floating. Duke would then. be close. Um, but yeah, like so. You, and then you go to the ACC tournament. You have a chance to play a Miami, a Virginia, a Duke, an NC State. Like again, there. And like I'm not saying I don't. I'm never gonna count them out until they're officially out, because we could realistically we could say going into selection Sunday, they could actually have four or five quad one wins, which is just because they have, I mean, if they do this. Yeah. If they do this again, I swear to God. Um, all right. I want to look, tell us about this stat. Cause this is a, this is one of the more There's something unique... that randomly kind of uncovered in November, just by thing, because it, it happened as a discussion of Murray stage is pumping out coach after the coach, after high major coach. Um, and we're, we're thinking we're like what programs have pumped out the most coaches who have had really have been the most stable programs without it just being like one coach. So throw out a Duke or a Virginia that's had coach K the whole time or Tony Bennett the whole time or anything like that. So the parameters that we set on was in the last 20 years, how many schools have had four or more coaches without firing anyone. So meaning every single one of those coaches 
has either still there or they left for another job on their own. Basically, this is a very good measurement of like the health of your program. A hundred percent. And, and honestly, our alma mater is almost on it. Our Ohio is like really, really close. Um, And like some of these, you even talk like an Akron and Akron is probably the the healthiest Mac basketball program outside of one of the teams I'm going to mention, but Keith Ambrot was just there for a long time. And, um, and so it's, it shows it's schools have put their head coaches in line for other jobs. They've taken them, but there hasn't clearly hasn't been a drop off until one of these, um, which we'll get to last, but first school, Murray state, we talked about, we went Mick Cronin, Andy Kennedy, Steve Prome, Matt McMahon, Steve Prome again. So you've got five coaches. albeit two of them being the same. Cause we got a return trip in the last 20 years. Consistent as can be VCU, probably one of the first ones that comes to mind. I think for a lot of people, Good you have grand. Jeff, Jeff Capel, Anthony Grant, Shaka Smart, Will Wade, Albert for two years, and then Mike Rhodes. Um, and probably honestly, like Mike Rhodes, probably take another job in the next couple of years and probably bring another one in. Like I don't see anyone getting fired at VCU anytime soon. Yep. Dayton Flyers, Oliver Purnell, Brian Gregory, Archie, and Anthony Grant. Um, some of the best mid-majors in the country. Really solid. Ironically, both of those now in the A10. Um, Kent State, so the model of consistency in the Mac. If Stan Heath, they barely make the cut. Stan I will say Heath, that. that was Stan forever Heath ago. took them to an elite eight, and yep. that was right on the cutoff. Jim Christian, Gino Ford, Rob Cinderoff, and and they're barely there because like Cinderoff has been there since 2013. Cinderoff's yep. in 10, 10 years there, but they have been consistent, and they're one of those teams they don't fall out of like the top four of the MAC. Um, that last one before we get to the final one, Valparaiso, um, because we had one year of Scott Drew before he got Baylor, then Homer Drew took back over again. Um, and then Bryce drew and then now Matt Lottich. So you have four coaches there. The last school, which as of now this week, unfortunately is being removed from this list was New Mexico state, which crazy. The names we were talking back to the throw out there of Lou Henson, Mm. like former Illinois legend, literally the Lou Henson award named after him, Reggie Theus, who is now the AD at Florida. Another legend, Lou Henson, Reggie Theus, Marvin Menzies, Paul Weir, Chris Jans, Greg Heyer. They had one, two, three. Pretty good. They had six. They had more of anybody in that 20-year span. And grand part of that's because Paul Weir stayed for like a year and then went to New Mexico. Menzies was barely there and went to UNLV. So it's short stints. But most, the most team, the most coaches in a 20-year period without firing anyone was New Mexico State with six uh, until this week. And, And it's crazy that even when you think about the model of consistency across college basketball and these mid-major programs, if things get out of hand, like they have in Las Cruces, it's, it's, it's who knows? Like, it's just, it, yeah. it's crazy what happened there. Uh, obviously they've gone through a lot and they've had a lot, but um, I mean, hopefully just because of the stability that they've built before this, this was only, this was Hire's first year there. So it's like, all right, let's just bring someone else in. Let's recruit the, good the Juco, the Biggest Juco, bring good kids in. Yeah, the Juco basketball community is pretty down right now. Just in general, of like, we got a guy at a really good spot, and then like this happens. And of course, that is not an indication on all the Juco world. Uh, there is some of the greatest, best people in Juco. There's there's a lot of crazy people in Juco. Just like the same with D1. It's the exact same. Or D2 or D3. It's everywhere. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, 
I'm blanking on his name. The guy who runs Hoop Dirt. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. He Dirt. he was the Dirt King. It, yeah, the Dirt King. Is it something Nelson? I can't remember. But he was really he was tweeting a ton that this was just such an unfortunate situation. Not first of all, let's just say the most unfortunate for the actual victims, and then of course what happened in November, like obviously, but um, tough tough branding uh, for a JUCO coach to get a job, and then for this, it takes a lot to just shut down a program. Like we've seen a lot of stuff happen. Um, By the way, we have to quickly mention um, uh, Beard. So they dropped oh, the yes, charges. They dropped yeah. the chart. The DA drops the charges. What do you do now? This is this is gonna uh, that's that's perfect perfect transition because I want to pose something to you. I'm gonna throw three coaches out here. Who gets hired for the next job first? Chris Beard, John Beeline. Or Mike Bray. Oh, Mike Bray. I mean, I you Mike think Bray it's, it's immediately? You think he's going to get picked up immediately? I think another? Mike Bray may already have his job lined up. It's actually a very fair point. <laughs> I think we he already about this over text. Like honestly, I don't know if it'll happen because he's not in the family, but he makes so much sense for Georgetown. Like, yeah, why he's not? A Dematha, he's the Dematha guy. He's a person that like he's gonna be able to come in. It's like I get like yeah, steady it's, the ship a dark a place. Bit. Come yes. in, maybe make some jokes about it. Yep. Um, have some fun. I don't know because they've obviously never gone outside of the family. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. And then ironically, I've seen a lot of people talking about John Beeline getting Notre Dame, like Ooh. because had success at Michigan at a football school, strong academics, Midwest. Like it's a fit. I don't know if you want to go to another. Older How old guy. is John Beeline? That's the um, question. Let me look that up. Well, he was in the mix for some jobs last year, but uh, John Beeline. 70? He's 70. 70. 70s. Well, I mean, shit. Krzyzewski retired at 75, so you can yeah. get five. And then and then, uh, and, and then Chris Beard. Like I, 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 think I think Chris Beard's last only because I think regardless – of the situation and the legality of it like the things the charges were dropped so you know if you're hiring him you're kind of okay um from that standpoint anyway i think he's gonna have a year off so i think think, if i was chris beard i'd probably take because i think he could get a job now yeah i think if you wait another year and wait a cycle you can get him probably a much better job and have your pick of a few and here's the other thing i was reading um the language around how they were able to fire him uh, with cause because he was charged uh, with a felony. What happened? So is that the language? If you're charged, we don't have to pay it you. It was in, you... in his contract. Um, yeah, but that's going to be interesting to see if he gets any money. Yeah. And I think though, another, it, it, it all ties into, um, I think that ties into the larger theme of, uh, I think it's, not misrepresenting the, the university standards, but it's something it's like if you and that's that's yeah. something that ties into it. And so I'm I think, sure they have pretty ironclad. Like if we're going to do this, we know that we're bulletproof, but totally. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's I mean, it was it seemed like it was a perfect fit for both Texas and Chris Beard. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what does happen out of this. But um, on that note, speaking of four cause of things, how about the Louisville Cardinals? Um, who are going to hang a banner coming up? I don't know when they announced um, they're I'm, going. I'm here for all of this. Going to do it, but I'm here for it. Obviously, their 13 national championship team. They had to take down their national championship banner, um, but. 
They're going to hang a banner. Um, oh, it will be their home game Saturday against Clemson. Um, so they will honor the iconic 2013 team with various promotions and recognitions. A new banner would be raised as part of the game-long festivities honoring the 10th anniversary of Louisville's 2013 championship. However, the banner is going to look a little different than expected. Instead of any mention of winning a championship, it will read 2013 final coaches poll number one. I'm here for it. I love it. I'm here. I love you, it. Like you can erase them from the book. You can't erase the memory of Luke Hancock and Peyton Siva. And oh, Russ man, they won. And like, they won the game. They won it. They won and the game. If you've been to Louisville, there is, I think it's like the building a block. It's like only like a half a block from the, uh, from the Yum Center that there's like basically a painted banner there um, that they hang. But like, I mean, yeah, like no one, like I get it. Like it happened. Like it, it, it you happened. can't erase it. It happened. And you know what? Like there's, there's no uh, falsehoods about final coaches number one in 2013. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, all right, what's happening with Johnny Gross? For those, so obviously our little Mac, uh, the Mac right now, the top of the Mac is like as probably as top, I don't want to say as top heavy, but as powerful as it's been. Um, and really just because Akron is really good, Kent is really good, Toledo is really good. Ohio's can can beat anybody on a on a good day, which they clearly did. They beat Akron. Yep. But um John Gross obviously on Friday night made his return to the convocation center. Um coming off where so they beat Kent State at home in a bad blood matchup the Friday before. They win by 12. The place is packed, crazy. They have to follow that up on Tuesday by playing Toledo at home, and they lay an egg to Toledo. So Toledo comes even with gets even with them in the max standings, and then they go Friday to Ohio, where obviously John Gross spent four five years. Yep, um, and and obviously his history. Ohio played probably their best game of the season. Second half, um, Akron's best player hits the ground. Um, Ohio kind of gets out in a fast break. They don't stop the play as they shouldn't have. Gross loses his mind. Like, Did honestly, you say as they shouldn't have, shouldn't. I don't think it was not. It was one of those where it was like he went up for a layup, kind of, and like kind of got blocked. Like I think Gross was calling for a foul and he laid on the ground, and then they're already up the court. Like you're not stopping them. It was, if it, it was one thing, if they had like stopped, gotten the rebound, or like slowing it down, but it was like block. Let's get out and transition. Gross was mad there wasn't a foul. I think he was mad that there wasn't a play stop. I've only seen. I obviously I was around that dude for two full years. I think I've only seen him that mad maybe a handful of times, like maybe two, three times. I couldn't believe he didn't get up teed up earlier. He's in the face, screaming at the ref. They go in the huddle. He breaks the huddle. Ref, he must have said something. Ref finally tees him up. Hmm. After he gets teed up, he gets about a millimeter from the guy, nose to nose. I really thought the guy was getting ejected and somehow doesn't. Um, and then there's some animosity. I think he it was in his – there's uh, – Ohio celebrated hard. They kind of threw the ball up in the air at the end. They were pounding their chest. It was a good, like it's a rivalry game, just like Akron was celebrating when they beat Kent same way. Um, and he wasn't happy. He, they asked in his coaches show, they asked and they said, uh, who, uh, are you, you guys are always, you're getting everyone's best shot. He's like, that's a hundred percent. He's like, of course. Oh yeah. He's like, just look at how Ohio celebrated on Friday night. He goes, we're going to, that's something we're going to have to clip and show to our guys. That's for sure. So he, like, it's a great time in the Mac right now because you've got some really good teams. I think you have probably three, four teams that are all capable of beating a power te- power five team in the tournament. Um, 
but it's just awesome to have obviously Kent Akron's a heated rivalry, Ohio Akron's a heated rivalry, Toledo and Todd Kowalczyk's trying to get over the hump. And you've got Stevie Taylor, shout out to Stevie Taylor going one and zero against the coach that recruited him in John Gross and, and, and beating them. So it's going to be really interesting. You look down the stretch Akron. So right now the standings are, um, and Toledo ball State. 11 and two Toledo's at 11 and two Akron's 10 and three ball States, 10 and three Kent though. They've got the, they've go, they get Ohio and Akron at home. They don't have to play anywhere tough. Toledo probably is the bet. They go home against Akron and they go at ball State, so They'll have a couple tough ones. Um, Ohio, who's not in the mix to win it, but Ohio's got only has to go at Kent. Like they're projected to win for their last five. And then Akron, they have all the teams they need to chase in front of them, but they get Buffalo at home. They go at Toledo, Western at home, Ball State at home, and at Kent. So if you're John Gross, you're trying to fire up your teams. Like, gentlemen, we've got everyone that we need to catch in front of us. Mm-hmm. The two toughest games, Toledo and Kent State, they really got to touch. Those are on the road. And it's like you find out what you're made of. And then obviously Cleveland's going to be a heck of a scene for the tournament. So if you're not paying attention to the MAC, it is probably one of the more exciting mid-major races right now just because of the – the natural bad blood between a lot of these teams and just the, uh, the, the powerhouses that are, I mean, Kent state is 70th and Ken Palm right now, Paul mm. 70th and Ken Palm. They're getting national love. I mean, they're, they're getting, they're getting people are paying attention. They're only loss. And honestly, you can make an argument like they're only losses until they dropped. They laid an egg at, at Northern Illinois in the end of January, but to start the year, their only losses were to Charleston to Houston and to Gonzaga. Yeah. Like, okay. They lost to Akron on the road in a rivalry game. And then they dropped, they laid, they've had one bad one loss. Bad loss. One bad loss. And if you take away 28th yeah. ranked defense in the country right now, the, the, Kent's, uh, the Kent's a good one to pick to go to the, I mean, at least win one. That's a good and one. And to Toledo pick. and Toledo, like I said, this is wild. Um, oh, wow. And Ken Palm's got a little stat up here, too. So they have the 15th best offense in the country. Um, Kent St- or Toledo does. Toledo. La- yep. Toledo has their last few games with 89, 70, 84, 84, 81, 91, 84, 86, 90, 84. God, All I of that the- in the nation's second longest active win streak of 10 straight games. 10 in a row. I would love. Some respect on the Toledo Rockets and Stevie Taylor. Could you imagine if the Mac ever got two teams in? That would be amazing. Honestly, it's just it's tough. It's, they, I think there's it's this it's could hard. be the year because the the Power Five stinks. I know, and that's the thing is like Kent. Kent was probably Kent has the best resume of all of them, but it's still tough. Like I think if they had beaten because it would have to be it would have to be Kent exactly. wins out. Kent wins out, goes to the championship game and loses to Toledo. That's like the only shot they would have because then Kent would have twenty nine wins. Kent's, have five more Kent's games. Twenty-one and five. They have five more games. Would have three more in the tournament. So they would have that would yeah. be eight. That would be seven straight. So they would be twenty-eight and six. And I I don't know if that even gets them in. Toledo's oh sitting at, and that's the thing. Toledo is twenty and six. So very similar. They're projected to win out the rest of the season. Like they've got uh, two home games, three away games. Um, but man, exciting time in the MAC. Good times for the Mac. Uh, in bowls we trust. That's how I'm responding to the the gross uh, post game statement. In bowls we trust. Um, all right, we will be back in a week or so. We are getting down. 
we're getting down to it, man. The end of uh, really what are we calling this for us? Season five, season six. We're getting we're getting down to uh, the reason we do the show, which is March, uh, which is quite exciting. I love it. I cannot wait. I think I am uh, hopefully going to be in attendance at some of these. Um, hopefully, MAC tournament, maybe even the ACC down the road in Greensboro. Um, we'll see, but it is, uh, it's now that we've turned the page from football and the rest of the world will start kind of focusing on college basketball, the casuals, as we like to say, the casuals uh, are here. Um, we get the casuals in and, uh, we'll see what some of these teams are made of Baylor Baylor right now. That's a team I didn't mention earlier. I I'm putting a lot of stock in Baylor. I'll just, that's a little teaser maybe for the next time we talk. All right. Baylor. All right. Until then, go, go, go Baylor, go bears. I, you know what? I remember last episode, you got a Wahoo Wah in and that was, uh, that might've been the reason they won. So I'm going to try and do that next year. Slipped what sucks in. is that Just we like, the- like, like, yeah, literally they, they only play each other once. That sucks this year. It uh, does. It's not, I mean, yeah, it's next tough. year. Next year. I think we got to make a, make a trip, but uh, all right, until then, keep the ball bouncing. Deuces. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, and tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, rustles up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.